If you have the Bible, if you'll open it to Philippians chapter 1 today, we begin a new series of messages entitled, Look Up. And one of the things we're doing in this series of messages is uh, we are looking for photographs that you might have that inspire us to look up. These trees that you see here in today's photograph, those were taken, uh, that picture was taken last year in Washington State, and those are some of the largest trees in our nation, in a grove called the Grove of the Patriarchs, and they remind me every time I see them to look up. So if you have a picture that, that you have that, that is good enough, we'll put it up on the, on the screen and, and use it for a, a sermon illustration. Send it to office at murphychurch.com, and in the coming weeks, uh, we might use it as one of the logos for, for the sermon series. You know, life is busy. I know my own life, it just seems to always, there's always something scheduled always something going on. And so if you're not careful, you'll look around and you'll see all this competition and other people trying to do things like you and, and that'll, that'll cause you to be anxious. Or maybe you look forward and you see your calendar and all the appointments and all the activity that's happening and you see all the financial responsibilities that you have going forward and it causes you to have angst. Sometimes we, we look back and we reminisce about what was that is no more, or sometimes we look back and we are remorseful for decisions that we've made, uh, things that we've done along the way. And so it's easy to be tied up in knots, to be anxious all the time as we just look around. And I think we have to be reminded to look up because whenever we look up to God, that's whenever we find hope. It's when we look up to God that we find strength. It's when we look, look up to God that we find wisdom to process the enormous amount of information that comes to us in the information age. So we're going to be walking through this book of Philippians in the coming weeks. The book of Philippians is one of the most encouraging books in the Bible. I think you'll find it doesn't necessarily swim the depths of theology like uh, Romans, but the book of Philippians encourages us, it comforts us, it reminds us of the importance of looking up. I want to do a, a little drill here uh, for about 45 seconds. I want you to try to discover as much information as you can about the book of Philippians. Now, you can use your Bible, you can Google it, you can talk to the person sitting next to you who knows a lot more about the Bible than you do, whatever you need to do. Uh, just for the next 45 seconds or so, uh, try to learn as much information as you can about the book of Philippians. Ready, go. I'll even set my timer here and time you guys, since you guys are always timing me. It's probably a good turnabout here for me to time you. No, no, nobody ever times me. That, that doesn't ever happen. They're such a serious crew, Paul. Okay, about 10 seconds. All right, go ahead and stop. Now, David, I heard something about I'll make sure lash nose. So what is it that you guys learned over here? 
It's not the Philippine Islands. Well, that, that's a good start. That's right. It's not the Philippine Islands. You're, you're on a roll. Now, now, who wrote the book of Philippians? The Apostle Paul, not, not Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Who was it written to? The church that was located in the city of Philippi. It's an epistle which is a letter, and a lot of Paul's works there in the New Testament are what we call the epistles. They were letters that he wrote to the church to encourage them, sometimes to help them get back on track. But Paul wrote a series of letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to churches, most of which he had a personal relationship with. Now, why was Philippians written? Well, Paul was a missionary, and as a missionary, He was helping new churches get established, and he was working primarily in the area that we call the Middle East. Well, God intervenes into his world, and he gives them what scholars call the Macedonian call, which was a 180 for Paul because he was to quit serving there in the Middle East. He was to go to the Macedonian, the the Greek region. So Paul is obedient to God. He goes and he gets on a boat. He sails over that way. And when he arrives, he does something that I recommend for you to do as a missionary. He gets the lay of the land. He begins exegeting the culture. And he would go to the marketplaces. He would meet people. He would see how people lived their lives. And in the process of all this, he meets this woman named Lydia, who becomes a Christian. Now, Lydia is a wealthy woman. She's kind of the Oscar de la Renta of Philippi. She was a seller of purple. She provided clothing for the rich and famous. In fact, purple, uh, the color of royalty, Lydia would often provide clothing for those that were, were in power, in control of the city. So Lydia starts helping this church get grounded and be established. The church grows Paul's method was he would come in, he would get the church established, then whenever he could turn it over to a young leader from the area, Paul would move on to his next missionary assignment. So Paul moves on from the church there at Philippi. Fast forward the clock. Years later, Paul is arrested. He's arrested for preaching the gospel. He's put in a house arrest. And so in that state there in Rome, His future is very uncertain. He doesn't know if he's going to be alive next month, next year. He has hopes that God would free him and that he'll be able to return to the churches that he loved and also help uh, establish new churches. So that, that context is important for understanding this book, that he's in a state of arrest. He doesn't know what the future holds. Well, in Roman days, when you got thrown in jail, They didn't provide for you a ping-pong table, three square meals. Uh, You didn't have clothing provided for you, Fios TV. None of that was provided for you in jail. If you were going to eat, if you were going to be clothed, all that stuff back in the Roman time period, somebody that you loved had to provide that for you. So the church at Philippi hears about Paul's situation, and they take up a love offering, and they draft from within the church, a young man by the name of Epaphroditus. And they say, Epaphroditus, here's the offering. We want you to take this to the Apostle Paul. Well, being a young man, Epaphroditus suggested that they use PayPal, but none of them knew what that meant. So instead, the Epaphroditus takes all this stuff and he hauls it over to 
the Apostle Paul. So whenever he gets to Paul, Paul receives the offering. He is so overwhelmed with uh, gratitude for what this church had done for them, for him, that he writes back a letter to them. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and this is the book that we call the book of the Philippians, not the Philippines, okay? So let's look at chapter 1 today, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you and in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, look at verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, I was thinking about verse 6 because this is where I really want us to camp out today. And I made a video that kind of illustrates verse 6. So take a look at the video now. Hey church, this is Lash. I'm, I'm at Millwood Baptist Church here in Austin, Texas, and this was where I pastored right out of seminary, and I was standing here behind this pulpit that, that I preached from hundreds and hundreds of times, and I was thinking, man, I was just beginning to learn how to preach uh, at that time. Some of you are still thinking that I'm beginning to learn, but uh, man, I was, the Lord was starting to do a work in me as a pastor, and, and just so many great memories here. And they're in the middle of a renovation here, and they're kind of redoing the stage and redoing a lot of things to make it more uh, conducive for worship. And I was thinking about this verse that we're looking at today about how when God begins a good work in us, He is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we're at a beginning point. Sometimes in our life we're in the middle of a renovation, and sometimes we're at that point where God is completing His work in us. And, I think we all need to be reminded that we have to look up and see what God is doing because it's so easy to get focused on what's around that we forget to look up. So let's dig into this passage of Scripture today and talk about what it means that God is doing a great work within us. And as you can see, I use the same camera that NASA uses to do the moon landings to film that video for you at that time. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, two simple things I want you to notice here. Number one, God starts stuff. In fact, the Bible begins, in the beginning, God created. He started the world. God is the author of human life. As Christians, we value human life from the beginning because we believe that God is the author and finisher. He's the giver of life. God begins things. He starts things. But also, God starts things in our lives. For some of you, He has started a story of love. For many of you, that story of love has led you to marriage. For some of us in the room, God has given us the gift of parenthood. And He has started us down that journey. Sometimes God puts us through periods of transition. And there's a lot of change that takes place in our life. And it seems like Change always comes like the rain. It just kind of comes at once, and all of a sudden we're just changing as, as fast as we can. For some of us, God uh, begins growth seasons in our life, 
periods where he stretches us. He changes our thinking. Thinking He develops us as he is growing us. God starts things, but not only does God start things, God finishes what he starts. Do you ever start things that you don't finish? How many of us in this room have projects that are just sitting there waiting for us to finish. That's right. I see those hands. Yeah. My wife, Stacy, can testify that if I'm not passionate about something, I can get easily distracted. I, I may not finish it. I was thinking the other day, about four years ago, I changed offices here and moved into the office at the back of the worship area, and I still haven't finished decorating it because I'm not Maybe you are, but I'm not. I'm not passionate about interior design. And so I I haven't finished it. I've started it, but I didn't finish it. But when God starts something, he doesn't get distracted. He doesn't quit. God finishes what he starts. Now, I know husbands and wives who have quit on each other. I, I, I know many who have abandoned their dreams. I know families that have quit on one another. I know churches that have quit being a church and they've settled for something country club-like to try to just pass the time. But God doesn't do that. God is fundamentally different than you and I. He, he's superior to us. He, he redefines loyalty and faithfulness. Whatever God begins, He is faithful to finish. And the Scriptures say that He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete that work that was, is within you until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not going to leave you alone. The work that he began, he's going to continue. Now, I think there's three look-up truths that, that I want to draw out from the passage today. And the first is this, that as a church, we need to look up to God and remember that God is not done with us here. Look up to God and remember that as a church that is gathering today to worship, that God is not done with us. How many of you are here? We're coming up on the 10th anniversary of life in this building. It was opened about 10 years ago. And how many of you were here in 2004 whenever we opened the building? A couple hands back there, a few hands back there, one here, a couple back there. I think I had five in the last service. We had a little bit more in the 830 service, about 30% of the 830 service was here at that time. So there's been a lot of change take place over the last 10 years. Uh, Murphy Road Baptist Church, for 90 years we were Murphy Baptist Church, uh, but, but Murphy Road's gone from a rural church to more of a suburban church. Our area has transitioned drastically. Those of you that go back uh, in time, Murphy, Wiley, Saxe, Richardson, Garland, this area, if you go back over a decade, you remember this area was the boonies. I mean, this was cotton fields. It was just kind of nothing. And then the George Bush Turnpike was put in, and all these houses were built. So there's been a lot of change in our community. Uh, Cindy was telling me the other day that in the last five years within our church, we've had like 380-something people join the church in the last five years. That, that's a lot of people in a church our size, I mean, that's like one week at Prestonwood, but for our church, that, that's a lot of people in, in five years. In, in the last uh, 15 years, our society has been transformed by this little invention called the Internet. And you think back to how different life was before the Internet. And sociologically, in the last five years, we've seen this explosion of mobilization. 
So now we take the internet with us wherever we go. People work from home. They're connected all the time. Instead of just having a handful of friends through social networks, many people have thousands of friends and they share their life with one another uh, socially through social networks. I mean, life is just changing at this breakneck speed. And with all this comes all this information and all these distractions and all these things that, that can tempt us to really worry about what's going to happen coming down the road. Now, some of you, you love all this stuff because you're a change junkie. How many change junkies do I have in the house today? Anybody? We got a few. We got like, you're lonely, Michael. There's another one back there. Yeah, Vince, you're a change junkie. All right. So you're a change junkie and you enjoy change. I mean, three weeks go by, it's the same stuff. You're like, I got to have something different. But the vast majority of people that I run into, they're not change junkies. Most people are change flunkies. And you're a little bit scared. I mean, maybe you can handle a certain amount of change, but you think about the future and all the pressures and all the stuff that's coming up, and it's easy for you to get anxious, and it's easy for you to get scared about what's going to happen. Sometimes people ask me, okay, Lash, with all the changes going on in the country, you know, what's the master plan for the church? How, how, what are we going to do? What are, and I have strategic thoughts in my mind, but, but the greatest answer that I can ha- give to you about what's going to happen down the future and how are we going to as a church react is we're going to be a church. We're going to lead people to worship and grow in and serve God through lives changed by the power of the gospel. We're going to do churchy things like minister to one another and to others. We're going to try to share the gospel and grow Christians, and we're going to gather for worship, and we're going to try to connect you with other people that you can live life with and serve together and fellowship with. I mean, that's what we're going to do in the future. The reason why is because the church is God's idea, and the scriptures say, he that began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. So even though society is changing around us, and yes, we have to make adaptations and we can't just live in the past, but we're going to be a church and trust in the fact that even though we don't know what the future holds, we do know the one that holds the future. And because of that, Murphy Road is God's church. And I'm pretty excited about what the future holds. I'm excited about what God wants to do through this church, in your life, in the community. I'm excited about what God is doing today and will do tomorrow. Back in the years 2006 to 2008, I had the joy of serving as a missionary. Now, I didn't go to a faraway land. Uh, I, I did go cross-culturally to Grayson County. That was a big shift in culture from Austin, Texas. But, uh, uh, and, and I was a missionary to churches. I would help existing churches strengthen their ministries, help churches in transition make those transitions, uh, help new churches get started. I, I got to serve as a pastor to pastors, and I enjoyed those years. It was a lot of fun. I was in different churches all the time uh, serving in that capacity. But there was one thing that I missed. I missed seeing people come alive in Christ, that week-in, week-out growth that takes place. I missed going through a book of the Bible like we're doing right now and just going through it section by section and preaching week after week and seeing how that helps people. And and I, I missed seeing that person come into the church who wasn't a Christian yet, see them come alive to the gospel and see them start growing in their faith. I missed all of that. And I'm aware that some of you, as you come here today, you're seeking something. 
Now, maybe where you are is that you're seeking a relationship with God. You have not yet become a believer. And maybe you even have questions and you have some doubts and you're kind of kicking the tires and working through all this, but you're here because God is doing a work in you and you're seeking truth and you're seeking God and what He's all about. Some of you might be here today because you're returning to church. Perhaps you were raised in church and then along the way you got out of it and now you're coming back to your roots and you're returning to church. Perhaps some of you are here because you're returning to God. Somewhere along the way you got away from God and you started doing your own thing and now God has grabbed a hold of your heart. He's begun doing a work and you're here and you're seeking God. You would say, yeah, I'm that seeker. I have questions. That's where I am. And I would say to you from this passage to look up to God because seeker, God is at work in your life. Now think about that for a moment. The God of the universe has put on his tool belt and he has gone to work in your life. We always love it whenever guests come to our services and we're blessed with a lot of guests as a church. And I've become keenly aware that every new person that walks in the door brings with them a story. Maybe you got up and you came to church today because there's a hurt in your life. You've had trouble with the law. Maybe you're having trouble uh, with your marriage, with your family, and you're hurting. And you're coming to church because you need some answers. You need some people to love you. You need some help. Maybe you're away from home. You just moved to this area and you're looking for some people that you can connect with. And so you came to church today because you, you, need a, you need a church family and you're in a new community. Maybe something bad happened at, at your other church. Something happened that caused you to be disillusioned. Whatever the story was, you, you felt like, you know, we need to find a new place of worship. And so you come here with that uh, as your story. I want you to know this, that it is no accident that you are here. If you're in that cycle of life where you're asking questions and seeking, it, it is no accident that God is at work in your, in your life. The God of the universe is working in your life. Now, maybe he's just starting to do his work. You're at that beginning point like I was whenever I was uh, at that church. Or maybe you say, Lash, I, I've got a long way to go. I'm a long way. Trust me, Lash, I'm a long way from where I need to be. Well, well so am I. Let's get in line. But God has begun a work in us. And the greatest thing that we can do whenever God goes to work in our life is don't fight it. Look up. Go with it. Let Him do His work within us. Every person in here has experienced the dark side of life. You have this feeling within you that something's just not right, that something's out of balance with the world, and perhaps you even have anxiety because of it. And you're right. The world is fractured. In fact, the Bible speaks of it, that sin came into the world and it fractured the world that we live in. And because of that brokenness, we live in a sin-saturated world. We are stained by sin 
everyone uh, experiences the dark side of life. But God has done something about that in sending Jesus. He is doing something about that in transforming our hearts and calling us to himself. And he will do something about that because the scriptures teach that one day God will set things right again. But because of that sin, we all face pain in life. We, we all face hurt. And there's this basic truth that as a person and as a pastor, I, I've come to believe with all my heart. and I can't stop believing this. I, I believe that God wants to do something good. I believe God wants to do something good in your life, in my life, and I believe that God wants to do something good with our lives. You see, God transforms our hearts, and, and that's so key to understanding Christianity. It's not just a code of ethics that you live by. It's not just about I'm going to be a better person, and I'm going to do some behavior modification, and I'm going to try to care about some other people beside myself. But the, the story of Christianity is about God transforming your heart. And when God begins to change your heart, he changes you from the inside out. And whenever you realize that you've been forgiven and that you are saved in grace and that you have real hope that goes beyond this world, that, that Paul wrote about this world as being the temporal stuff, but whenever you realize that your life is really connected to hope, then it frees you to be selfless. It frees you to make a difference in the lives of other people, and it frees you to make a difference in the lives of the community around you because you've been set free by the gospel. And, and I am so thankful for so many of you that, that I see God doing a work in your life, and it's so cool to see this happening. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, I'm seeing what God is doing in your heart begin to overflow the boundaries of you. And you're starting to think beyond just yourself. And I saw so many people do so many things that made such a difference this summer. We as a church, coming out of the summer into the school year, we had an incredible summer. Uh, we had 30-plus new believers here at Murphy Road this past summer. Praise God for that. And one of the ways where God really zeroed in is in our children's ministry and in our youth ministry. And we saw a lot of those children and teenagers take some big steps in their spiritual development. We as a church actually grew in size uh, over the course of the summer. And I, I pray that we're also growing in mission uh, even during the summer months. And I love hearing the stories that the kids brought back from camp and how God touched their lives and, and what God was doing in their lives. It, it always reminds me of how God worked in my life whenever I was a teenager five years ago, and he was doing stuff in my life, and I just remember it. It was so powerful to me. Uh, but it's just so neat to see people serving God. And it's easy. It's really easy to get distracted. And I think this passage today reminds us as Christians that we have to look up and, and simplify things sometimes. Uh, quit being distracted because God is doing something good. It is really easy to get distracted. It's easy to get into these 
negative thinking patterns. It's easy to begin to think that the the walls of life are closing in and to feel like all there is is darkness and there is no light and to just get distracted by all that instead of looking up and realize that that God is good, that God is at work, and the work that God is doing, He is going to be faithful to complete it until the end. There was a time in my life back in 2007 It was one of those seasons in my life where God was stretching me and growing me. It was also a season of contemplation. Uh, September 11th, 2001, it it really caused us as Christians to ask a lot of questions. And if you study the history of theology, you'll find that after that event, that particularly within American theology, people really began asking a lot of questions and there was some shift in a lot of people's thinking. And so I was sorting through a lot of this and trying to process this as a young adult. And how, how does this all make sense? And what about this suffering? And what about all this? And, and there was this moment where God really began to simplify things for me that, that Christianity was really about Jesus and, and making much of Jesus. And so I wrote these words back in 2007, and I thought they were applicable today about being distracted. Here, here's what I wrote. Whenever I find myself at learning moments, I, I like to write down my thoughts. And so here they are. Uh, I'm sure that many of us can look back over our lives And remember times when you gave up control and really let Jesus' power reign in your life. But along the way, it's so easy to get distracted. We have our ministries, our church, our families, our friends, our jobs. All this activity that we do for God. And if we are not careful, we can lose sight of the one thing that really matters. Jesus. I have made a decision in my life that there is only one thing in my Christian walk to which I want to be radically committed, and that is Jesus. I'm not talking about commitment like one might have to your favorite team or a loyal dog, but I am talking about a radical commitment that cannot be measured in wins or years. My dream is to follow God's purposes and abandon my dreams when they conflict with His. I am no longer satisfied with telling or yelling the good news of Christ, but my heart's desire has become to communicate the good news of Christ in both words and deed. I will not embrace or minimize the sins of this world, but neither will I spend my time judging when I could be loving. I must accept the fact that the world has changed and know in my heart that with a sovereign God, this is not by chance. So I must give myself to him anew to use his gifts in ways that are new. I have come to grips with the fact that leadership is about serving others rather than others serving me. And worship is not about music, tradition, style, or emotion, but it is about exalting Jesus and my changing to be more like him. God has not made me an island unto myself. I need other people to love me and encourage me. My goal has become very simple. Follow God and don't get in the way of others seeing Jesus. You see, my friends, there's times where we just need to look up and trust God to do His good work. Or we just need to get out of the way and let others see what God is doing in us. 
When I was running track for Keller High School, Coach Mark once a week used to make us go out and run the hill. The hill is basically a geological torture chamber. It's horrible. Think of the steepest driveway you've ever walked up and then make that a quarter mile in length and there you have the hill. And so Mark love, loves, he's still alive, Mark loves the Lord, but he also has a sinister side. And so he would get at the top of the hill and we would be down there at the bottom of the hill. And the cue for us to start running was whenever he dropped his arm. Whenever he dropped his arms, we were to start running. We were to run up the hill, and he was the finish line. When we reached him, we could stop running. So he'd drop his arms, and in our minds, we'd be hearing chariots of fire, dun, 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 and we'd start running up the hill. And about halfway up the hill, you were not hearing chariots of fire anymore. You were starting to bargain with God. God, if I can just make it to the top of the hill, I'll quit rebelling against my parents and I'll be a good kid and all this kind of stuff. And you'd finally reach the top of the hill and there would be Coach Mark and you'd be like, okay, I'm almost there. And then that guy, he'd start running backwards. Remember, he was the finish line. So you'd get close to him and he would start running backwards on you and like, come on, flashlight. You're going too slow. Keep on running. You're never going to catch me. And he would run backwards. Finally, after a while, he would stop. You never knew. This was the part where he played mind games. He might stay in the same place, or he might run backwards. He might run backwards for a long time or a short time. You never knew, but you had to keep running until he stopped. So all my life, I thought he was being mean. Now, last year, he was, he, I got a call that he was going to be ordained to the Christian ministry, and he wanted me to be a part of the ordination council. So I'm like, this is my chance to get back at him. Because you get to ask him all these questions and see if he knows his stuff well enough before you ordain him. So I'm like thrilled to get there. So in the process of the evening, I I start asking him about, you know, what were you doing? Why why did you always run backwards? And he said, well, flashlight. That's how he talks. I'm sorry. He always called me flashlight. Well, flashlight, uh, I was trying to teach you that when you can't take another step, there's always one more step left in the tank. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that was good. You needed to teach me that, coach. Thanks. I'm aware of this, that some of you come here today very, very tired, very discouraged, very anxious. And your life feels like an uphill run with a moving finish line. And I want to remind you today that there's always one more step left in the tank. Keep, put, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep going forward. You do what is right in the eyes of God, and it'll be okay. Don't forget hope. Don't forget the fact that when this life is over, we live with Him for all eternity. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. There's still another step left in the tank. And remember this, that the Bible says, I'm sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you be so kind as to stand with me please as we come to a time of commitment. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. and I'll be here at the front today if there's anything that I may pray with you about. That's always my joy. Uh, maybe today needs to be your day of salvation and you need to believe in Christ. You're that seeker that I talked about earlier, and, and now it's, 
God's really brought to the point where it's just time to believe in Him. And you need to come see me and say, Lash, I, I want to be a believer today. I would love to pray with you. Uh, maybe there's something going on in your life that I can pray with you over, and it's always my joy to do so. I'll be here after the services as well, and would love to talk with you and help you any way that I can. I want to remind you again to look up. God's at work in your life, and what He is doing is good, and He can use your life in ways that you can never imagine to impact other people, to transform your community, to draw people to Him. He's not finished with you. You've got regrets, you've got things in the past that you wish hadn't happened, but He's not finished. He's completing His work in you. Maybe your life's under renovation. And God's bringing a lot of change into your life. But He's growing you, He's stretching you. Don't fight Him. Go with it. Maybe you have a lot of uncertainty. Look up to Him. Trust Him. I've never reached the finish line of life with anybody who said, my regret is that I trusted God too much. Trust God. He'll take you through. Father, we thank You that You're not a detached deity. You didn't create everything and then say, good luck with that and leave us to ourselves. But instead, You are actively involved in Your creation so much so that you care about each and every one of us and you have intervened into our lives. You are at work in our life and Lord, I pray that we might join you in what you're doing and I pray, Father, that you might uh, use our lives and that we might see your work come to completion. For it's in you that we trust and you that we serve. Amen.